I want to welcome you to Crossings Church. My name is Jake. I am glad that you guys are visiting with us, or if you're members, I am glad to see you. I'm finally back in town. I was on a trip this weekend, and it was awesome, very hot, but I don't think I missed much because it was just as hot here as what I've been told. <laughs> um, just wasn't as humid down there. Um, we uh, have a lot of different things going on here at the Crossings Church, and so before I actually jump in on this holiday weekend, I want to give you guys some uh some information that you may be interested in. We, we have a workshop coming up next weekend. It actually starts this Thursday coming up. And it's an awesome, uh, it's an awesome workshop that we do. It's, it's, it's called a CMU workshop. And CMU stands for Campus Ministries United. And what we've done is we've done this, you know, over the years we've done this national search of different campus ministries around the nation that have kind of aligned with our doctrine and, and are trying to push college students to do what we're doing. And what we've realized over the years is to help encourage students to do what we're doing and find you know, a, a healthy group of college ministries to partner with, um, we're going to need healthy churches as well. And so workshops like CMU have, have evolved into not just being for campus ministries anymore, but they've been for churches. And so what we're trying to do with our workshop is we're, we're opening this to our entire church. Um, so any of the churches that have partnered with us or that, you know, that are exploring and looking if maybe this is a, a group that maybe they would, they would like to be a part of or just kind of seeing what, we, what we're about and what we're looking at, uh, we have workshops like this that provide great resources. And at this specific workshop, um, there is a guy named John Clayton that is going to be there. And he is a huge, huge advocate for the Christian faith. So much so that the man used to be atheist and was a scientist and tried to disprove Christianity so he could prove his, you know, his own belief system and could not do it. So he became a Christian and now fights for the Christian faith to prove why it is true and real and historically shows why he believes what he believes. And so if, you, if you're somebody who ever struggled with your faith or you have ever have questions about the Bible or the history behind it, this is a great place to be. And this guy usually charges a lot of money from what I heard uh, to do conferences like this. But for this, for this specific retreat, I believe it's only $5 for adults. Yeah, just show up with five bucks. Um, and you guys can come and listen to the entire, you know, the entire workshop. And it goes all weekend. So it's out at our church in Wentzville, or uh, O'Fallon, Missouri. It's one of our sister churches that we've partnered with. Um, so I encourage you guys to come. If you have a friend that maybe is still trying to be skeptical on visiting church and this might help them, you know, invite them to that as well. Our whole campus ministry will be there. We'll have, you know, five or six other churches represented there. It's, it's a huge opportunity. The worship is great because everybody comes together and sings together as well. And there's just awesome things there. So I, encourage, I highly encourage you guys uh, to be at that this week. We also have camps coming up. We are in camp season here at the Crossings. Um, Yes, these kids cannot wait to get away from their parents, and the feeling is mutual. <laughs> um, we want those kids gone. Uh, no, but we have uh, camps. We, we highly, highly value our camps here at the church because a lot of our kids come from backgrounds and upbringings that aren't the greatest, um, and so camp is, is a way for them to get away for a little bit to just get some love, get some encouragement, give them some hope, but also just to give them something to come home with. And so I don't know how many times I've seen a kid go to camp and come home a changed kid. And it changes their households. It changes the way that they've lived. It changes the way that they view their parents. It changes the way that they choose to now respect parents. It, it, choose, it changes the way that they choose to respect 
you know, reaching out to other kids in their schools. It changes the way that they choose to solidify their faith and what their values are. Camp does so many things for the children in this community. And so I encourage you guys to look on the back of your bulletins. And we have camps coming up for junior hires, for high schoolers, and our college students. And so if that's something that you're interested in as well, if you have a kid in one of those age ranges, um, let us know. Uh, I think there's a cost on there. Well, there's not. There's uh, a link for that registration. And so if you need to know more about that, you can talk to me. You can talk to one of our youth leaders. But we'll definitely get you connected with that. Um, So we are in the middle of a sermon series uh, about continuing, to be continued. That's our church theme of the year. And, and our, our whole thought process with this church theme this entire year is while we're planning so much on this is we want to we find resources in Scripture to give us a, an opportunity to apply um, to our current context. And so we believe when you look at the book of Acts in and, and the first century um, that, the, that the history behind what was established at, at, the, at the first century church was not meant to be left there. But it was actually a message and it was actually a movement that was created to, to become cross-generational, to be multi-generational, to land on us one year on one time for us to continue that story to make it even more multi-generational, to, to go to, to our great-great-great-grandchildren and for them to look at the book of Acts one day and then to look at our impact on the book of Acts and then for them to continue that story. And so we've been trying to, we've been planted on this whole idea of continuing the book of Acts. And so we've been picking apart the book of Acts and looking through it for the year on what can we learn, what can we see from the history of what happened in this first century church that is relevant to what we're doing today and how can we get through that. And Wes did a great job last week. And, we, and this is part two of what Wes was talking about last week because we talked last week about five essentials to make God's diversity dream come true. And I believe that Wes hit on the first three last week, but the reality is that we were talking about that God had a dream to create a diverse church. And when you look around the country, not every church looks like that. And I don't know if you've visited a lot of churches, but I have um, in my time as a minister, and I have noticed that not every church looks like every other church. I have been to churches that have one color represented in the church. I have been to churches that one social economic status is represented in the church. I have been to churches um, that literally just when you walk in, you don't feel welcome because you don't fit the grain of the, the common ground that is, is sat there at that, at that church. Um, and when you look in Scripture and you look at the book of Acts, you start to find out very quickly that God dreams and has always wanted there to be diversity within his kingdom. God has always wanted it to be something that anyone and everyone was felt to be welcomed a part of. And because of that, the context of the group, the congregation, the church, was meant to be diverse. You see, because you can, you can be in a church and you can say, yes, I agree, God wants a diverse church. But if your church doesn't reflect that, then there might be some issues with how you choose to apply what you're actually saying. Because nobody's going to go to a church if they don't feel like what you're saying is what you're living. You know what I'm saying? And I think that a lot of times we look at churches in America and we can even see churches and even the way that people viewed church in the book of Acts. And they said, yeah, I agree. God wants everyone to be a Christian. God wants everyone to be loved. 
But then you look at the way that they treated people or you look at the way that they choose to involve people and you find out very quickly the way that you're living, the way that you're acting is not lining up with what you're saying and your congregation reflects that or your lifestyle reflects that or your social circle of friends reflects that. And I believe that we have got to learn from the book of Acts and let's hit on this and we're going to review some of these things that God has always dreamed for us to have a church of great diversity. And when we choose to take and answer this call and we live in this way, we will see a church that reflects that. Here at the Crossings Church, I, you know, I don't believe this is a huge struggle for us, but the reality is, is that just because we have it does not necessarily mean that it will be continued if there isn't some realizations on what we can do and what we need to understand as we walk through life. And so just to kind of recap on a couple of these points um, that we hit on last week, number one was I realized God has always dreamed of a diverse kingdom. I have to realize that God has always dreamed of it this way. This isn't some new trendy thing in culture that's like, let's have a diverse church. Like, let's try this out and see if it'll get more people in the church this time. Let's just, let's open it to everyone and see how it does. No, it's not, it's not, it's not some new trendy thing in culture, but God has always dreamed that his kingdom would be diverse. From the very beginning of scripture to the very end, in Genesis twenty-two eighteen, 18, it literally says, all the nations of earth will be blessed by your offspring. The very beginning of the greatest story ever told in Genesis, it talks about all of the nations we blessed. And then we zip all the way to the end of Scripture in Revelation 7-9. It says, I looked again. I saw a huge crowd, too huge to count. Everyone was there. All the nations and tribes, all races and languages, and they were standing dressed in white robes and waving palm branches standing before the throne and the Lamb. You see, when people read Revelation, some people believe Revelation is yet to come, that it's something that's still going to happen before Jesus comes. Some people believe that this has already happened and it's describing potentially what heaven may look like or other different areas and indications of just things that have already, have already came. And my answer is yes. <laughs> you know, like my, on this specific topic, in this specific verse in Revelation, I don't think it really matters, or I don't think God is trying to get us to understand, oh, you need to, you need to pick a side, this, this was either already happened or it's going, I don't think that matters. I think what you need to learn from this verse in Revelation 7 9 is that it doesn't matter if he's talking about the kingdom in heaven or the kingdom on earth, they're going to look the same. It doesn't matter where we're at or where we stand on this verse, but the reality is, is that God has always desired for everyone to be there, all nations and tribes, all races and languages, and if it's mirrored in heaven, it should be modeled here. And it talks about how they're dressed in white robes, and I think that the common ground we have to understand as we walk through this today and as we talk about realizing that God has always been a diverse kingdom is that we have that opportunity because when you see that they're talking about being dressed in, in white robes, it, it's, 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 it's an indication that there has been a cleansing. It's an indication that there has been a purity, that there has been, there has been something that has been done to clean these people. And we all know that that's talking about Jesus. It says, waving palm branches, standing before the throne and the Lamb. 
And so what I want to do today, before we even jump into this lesson too deeply, is I, I want us to take communion. Because I believe if we're going to understand that God wants to build a diverse kingdom, if God wants to build this dream within us, if we are going to be somebody that models what Revelation talks about, whether it's heaven or here, that we have to understand that the diversity is available because of what Jesus did on the cross. That we're able to sit and stand in white robes, and we're not literally wearing white robes, but we know that if we've, if we've died to ourselves, that, and we look at our lives and our relationship with Jesus Christ, that we are, we are living a white robe. We, we are living in a world that Jesus has forgiven us for our sins and has given us an opportunity to feel cleansed, to feel pure again. Because we don't deserve to be in diversity with one another. You know, we don't deserve to be in community with one another. We don't deserve to be in a relationship with God. But he's given us an opportunity to cleanse ourselves, to, to give us a purity because of the things that Jesus was willing to die on the cross for. And that gives us an opportunity to look at our lives now and say, how can I be grateful for what God was willing to do for me? How can I be grateful for what Jesus was willing to do for me? Jesus didn't die for a certain context of people. It doesn't say that here. Jesus didn't die for a certain tribe. Jesus died for the greatest diversity in the entire world, for all of us. And I think we have to remember that as we walk through these ideas and we walk through this, 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 this word of diversity and seeing what that really means. So I'm going to say a prayer, and we're going to take a second to take communion, and then we're going to jump into this lesson. God, I just want to thank you so much um, for not being somebody that's nitpicky with who you choose to love, um, for not being somebody that, you know, looks at a culture and say, oh, I'm only, like, only going to love these people. I'm only going to forgive these people. But you love us all the same. You don't pick favorites. You sent your son to die for every single one of us. And if there is any model of what it looks like to be a diverse disciple. It's your son. And God, I pray that we can remember that as we look at our lives and we, and, we, and we can be grateful for what your son was willing to do on the cross for us. And hopefully that will give us the opportunity to look at our lives and show how we can show that gratitude and how we love the people around us. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. The first point was I realized God has always dreamed of a diverse kingdom. Secondly, is I reject my current lens in favor of the lens of Christ. And what this is, what this is talking about is racism is real, guys. I'm not going to sit here and, and, and try to disprove it. I'm not going to sit here and act like it's not real. But there is racism in the world. It's, it's, it's there. But I believe... If we're going to pinpoint racism and we're going to talk about where it comes from, it, it's not like it's something that magically appeared. You know, it's been passed down. And when I look at our culture today, I believe that more times than not, when racism is as a topic in culture, it's because it's been passed from something. And sometimes I look, I look a lot at racism like I do at just natural sin in general, that we, we aren't just sinners, you know? We're not born sinners, just like we're not born racists, right? But just like Scripture talks about sin, that there is this natural 
this natural desire because of the things that we are engulfed in this world that we are going to be predisposed to this, I think racism is the same way. I believe over the years, we're, we're not little racist babies you know, running around being like little racists, but I do believe that as we grow up, the generation before us, the people that we live with, the culture that we live in, the movies that we're exposed to, the shows that we watch, the kids that we grow up in school with, we all start to have this predisposition on certain things or people or places or locations because of the culture that we've engulfed ourselves with. And we, we can say, no, 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 no that's, no, that's for me. But the reality is that there is some for somebody, for everybody. And there's, it, it could be the smallest little things. It could be the largest little things. It could even just be just not the knowledge of other cultures. And so we, we start to build these, these things up. I was born that way. I, I grew up that way. You know, my grandma, she would never say that she was racist, but I knew she was racist. Like, there's just little things in my, in my grandma's life that I look at. And as a kid, like, I didn't think there was anything wrong with it because I'm like, this is my grandma. I love my grandma. But then I, start, I got involved in the campus ministry. And, and I, brought, I brought the very first black person to my grandma's house that she had ever had in her house in her entire life. And she said, what is he doing here? I never knew. I never knew that that's the way that I was raised, you know? I never knew that that was something that was still, like, prevalent. And I had to sit and talk with my grandma about the relationships that I had with my closest friends and what they've done for me. And I was able, luckily, before my grandma died, I was able to have conversations with her. I got to have conversations with my grandma. I didn't even think about I wasn't even planning on talking about my grandma today. But my grandma died while I was studying the Bible with her years ago. And I don't know how much changed in my grandma's heart, but I knew that wasn't the last black person that went to my grandma's house. And she saw something different. And it was incredible to see how much the lenses changed on my grandma's eyes because of what she saw in people's hearts. I miss my grandma a lot. But I think a lot of times we look at our lives and we have this lens of what culture has told us to look at people as. And we have to look at our lives in a different lens. In Acts 10.1, it even talks about, it says at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. And you can read that sentence as like a descriptive verse and be like, okay, that's just describing a man. But there was a lens put on this man because Caesarea was essentially named after Caesar and what Caesar has done. There wasn't a lot of things that came out of Caesarea that really helped with the Christian faith. And there was already a lens put on this guy of who he might have been and what he was. And I think our culture tells us to do that a lot. Our culture tells us to put a lens on and look at people a certain way because that's how everybody else looks at them. That's how everybody else is going to treat them. But we've got to look through life. We've got to look through the world in a different lens. We've got to look through it through God's lenses. You know, we've used this, we've used this word a lot. We, we call it kingdom eyes. You know, put your kingdom glasses on and try to look at the world the way that God wants you to look at the world. And in Acts 10, we, we, we see this and how God views the centurion. 
It says, he and his family were good people and honored God. He gave much money to the people and prayed always to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he saw in a dream what God wanted him to see. An angel of the Lord came to him and said, Cornelius. He was afraid as if he looked at an angel. He said, what is it, Lord? The angel said, your prayers and your gifts of money have gone up to God. He has remembered them. See, God saw the heart in people, and he was able to take those lenses off. And I think the problem, if we're ever going to be able to build a great, diverse kingdom, a great, diverse church, is that we've got to stop looking at people the way that we want to look at people. We've got to stop looking at people the way that culture tells us to look at people. And we've got to look at, the, we've got to look at people the way that God looks at people. And if, if we're willing to do that, you will see much more than a skin color. You'll see so much more than a social status. You'll see so much more than an economic status. But you'll actually be able to see people at their core. You'll be able to see people at their hearts. You'll be able to see people at their weaknesses. And I believe that we have to look at our lives and ask ourselves, have we ever looked at somebody in a different lens than God would look at them? And if the answer is yes, then one, there's some repentance that needs to take place. But two, that also might be an indication of why they're not here today. And we have to look at our lives and and challenge ourselves that if we want something great, we want something diverse, it starts with, first and foremost, the the way that we view people. So not only do I need to reject my current lens for the lens of Christ, But thirdly, I replace stubborn pride with humble obedience. See, here's here's the challenge from point two to point three, is that we can identify that maybe we've had this lens of how we look at people because of the culture. But the stubbornness is the unwillingness to change that lens. The stubbornness is to say, yeah, maybe I do look at people differently than God has looked at them, but I'm still going to look at them this way. I'm still going to be stubborn about the way that I view people because it's just how I felt. It's just the way I grew up. It's just the way I was raised. And we have to change that with a humble obedience that maybe I don't know. In Acts 10, 9 through 16, we, we follow along with the story. And it says, The next day they went on their way. About noon they were coming near the town. At this time, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became very hungry and wanted something to eat. While they were getting food ready to eat, he saw in a dream things God wanted him to see. He saw heaven open up, and something like a large linen cloth being let down to earth by four corners. On the cloth were all kinds of four-footed animals and snakes of the earth and birds of the sky. A voice came to him. Get up, Peter, kill something and eat it. Peter said, No, Lord, I have never eaten anything that our law says is unclean. Okay, let's pause there for a second. How in the world is that stubborn pride? You know, like when you, when you read that and you, and you hear it, you're like, he's literally saying he's trying to honor Scripture by not doing something, right? How is that humble pride? He's telling God, No, God, I'm not going to do that because I'm trying to obey your law. You know, and now we're in a little conundrum, right? Like, what, where's the wrongness here, right? Well, he goes on and says, the voice said the second time, 
what God has made clean, you must not say is unclean. It took him three times to say that. It says this happened three times for him to finally get the picture and get the point. And I think sometimes, and I'm not, I'm not telling us to not listen to Scripture. Don't take that from this at all. But what I'm saying is that sometimes we view the law in a certain lens that really isn't the law. We follow God's word in a way that sometimes isn't really following God's law. It's literally what the Pharisees were doing. They were viewing Scripture and applying Scripture in a way that caused a stubbornness that when Jesus himself came and said, this is wrong, you're doing it wrong, there's a different way to do this. There's a relational way, there's a loving way, there's a way to look at the heart but you're so stuck in your stubbornness that you're just following law, but you're really not following law in the first place. That's where we got to get in our relationship with God to say, in my humble obedience, maybe I'm not applying this the greatest way. Maybe I'm not listening to this the way that I'm supposed to. Maybe I'm not applying this the way that I'm supposed to. Maybe I'm not treating people the way that I'm supposed to. And I believe if we looked at it more in that perspective that we might find some stubbornness in how we live life. Right? The things that we struggle with time and time and time again, but we know what God's law says, but yet we are still we're still resistant to the change. That that stubbornness has sat in. And over time, if we're not careful, that stubbornness can change the context of a church. See, we have a great thing going here at the Crossings Church. I love what we have, but I'm not ignorant to the fact that I know that there are churches out there that look certain ways and act certain ways and live certain ways, and I know that that stuff happens because of stubbornness. Nobody plants a church and says, I only want to reach a certain type of people. <laughs> Nobody plants a church in a new community and says, I only want these kind of people in my church. And I don't, I'm not even just talking about race here, but that is part of it, you know. It's not just this race of people. I only want to reach, reach rich people. Well, that would be nice if we had any rich people in our church, right? Um, <laughs> I only want to reach young people. I only want to reach old people. Nobody says that, right? When they plant a church. But when you look around America, do you not see only rich churches sometimes? Do you not only see only all white churches or all black churches or all Mexican churches? Do you not see those things? Do you not see some churches that are all old people? Nobody, nobody says that. Nobody wants that. But that will happen if we choose to view Scripture in a stubborn way. This church is not exempt from the idea that 50 years from now we could look like any of those churches. If we're not careful with how we view and evaluate the stubborn pride we have with Scripture and we're not continually humbly looking at what God is really trying to get us to see in our relationships, in our hearts, in our application, we are not exempt from what a church could turn into. But with that is a great opportunity to be a church 
that can grow exponentially. But it all starts with our stubborn pride. Fourthly, now we're getting into new stuff today, is I rejoice in God's vision and call others to do so. You see, it should be a joy to have diversity. It should be. It should be a joy and be able to rejoice in this vision that God has planted within our churches to have something so great and so diverse. But it doesn't just stop there. There has to be, a, there has to be a, an opportunity to create the next generation. Look what it says in, in Acts 10, 34, 36, and then it jumps a little bit further. It says, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. I read that probably a couple times this week, and I'm like, do you realize, like, we're in Acts 10 now. So Peter has already seen, he's walked with Jesus. He's, died on, he's seen him die on the cross. He's denied him, everything happened, boom, he comes back and acts like, hey, I'm the real deal, go out. And, and Peter is part of this mass conversion, right? And, and Peter has been through all this stuff. But it takes till Acts 10 for Peter to say, I now realize how true it is that God doesn't show favoritism. Why did it take him so long? Like, I, like for real, like he walked through all of that stuff. Would any of you guys walk through that and been like, eh, there's still certain people that God favors over others. You know, like, it doesn't make sense. I, I, I can't grasp the idea of how long it took for Peter to finally realize that God loves all people equally. Blows my mind that it took him this long. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. Blows my mind that it took him this long to get it. If it took Peter this long, maybe there's some of us that need to look at our lives and say, hey, maybe I still don't get it yet. Maybe I don't get, maybe I really don't get how much God actually loves everyone. That may change who and how we love certain people, right? You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. All the prophets testify about him, saying that everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. They, the circumcised believers had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter finally has this epiphany and says, Surely no one can stand in the way of being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus. You see, it was uncommon for these Gentiles to get the Holy Spirit before being baptized or even being baptized. And Peter sees this and he's like, this is so unnatural. But now I get it. Now I get why Jesus came. Now I get what God really meant. And there's this rejoicing that happens because of the diversity. And then a call was answered because of that, to change lives. 
See, I didn't tell anybody I was going to do this because I didn't want to be running out of the room, but I need some people to come up on stage. Um, I need Reggie, David, Alameda, and, and J-Tone to come up here real quick. Come on down. Come on down. See, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk you through an illustration. I didn't even think this illustration all the way through because it's summertime, so people might be out of town. But go ahead and come over here. Where's, somebody go find J-Tone and get some chairs up here, too. You're going to be here for a minute. Everybody's going to be staring at you for a minute. I'm, I'm thinking about it. Get, get four chairs and just sit up here for a second. Okay? So I'm going to walk you through just a vision of what this church has done because of this opportunity to look at what it really means to rejoice in the diversity. Because sometimes I, don't, I think we can read stuff like this, but we don't really get it. And Jayton's going to come in here in a second. I'm going to embarrass him too. But we started this church in 2017, right? We came on this church plant. There was about 30 people that came on this church plant, okay? I was appointed to be the campus minister of this church plant. And I was given four guys right here and J-Town. And he's probably hiding somewhere, right? Now, if you were a betting man and you're looking through not God's lens, but you were looking through the world's lenses, if you were a betting man and you wanted to build a church, would you send this to Southern Illinois (laughs) to build a church? Sorry, boys. <laughs> you wouldn't. I, if I was a worldly betting man, I wouldn't. Because Southern Illinois isn't known for its great diversity, you know? And this is what we started with. And it was crazy because Southern Illinois, man, like, I don't know what else to say. But even in the midst of this, in this group, we didn't even know each other that well, right? So, Whenever I, whenever I was appointed to the campus minister, we put our group together, our campus ministry, and we didn't really know each other too well. So like Alameda, I didn't even want Alameda to come on the plant at first because Alameda was in a rough spot. And I was like, dude, I don't understand how you're going to get anything accomplished on this church plant, right? And you even had talks with people. They're like, hey, you need to get your stuff together or you're not going to this church plant. And I was like, I want to put our best foot forward, and I don't know if Alameda is going to be able to be a part of that. I didn't know him too well. He didn't know me too well. So there was something there. Reggie was somebody who jumped in. He was part of the campus ministry, but he wasn't in my small group. And Reggie's got some deep trust issues, right? And I remember the first thing, one of the first things that Reggie said to me whenever he was in my small group was like, hey, man, I don't know you too well yet. I don't trust you. So like, and I'm like, in my head, I'm like, this is a great start. I got a guy that I don't know if wants to be here. The guy doesn't trust me. Literally, Dave was the only guy that I knew because we studied the Bible together. And I was like, all right, I got, I got one. <laughs> like, and so like, that's where we started, right? And it's not something that you would really think. But the reality is, is when you look at this circle and we look at each other and we all kind of didn't know each other, we have rejoiced in the diversity that we have had over these years together. And there has been a bond of friendships that has happened in this circle that has been because of the rejoicing of the diversity that we've been able to build and share with one another. Since we've been on this church plant, all three of them have been married. And I'm pretty sure that all of us have been in each other's weddings, besides me because I was like way older, right? But best men have been in each other's marriages here. There's been something that's beautiful about the diversity that we've been able to build. 
But here's the cool thing about that, is that this diversity that we've had right here did not end right here. So what I want now is if you're a man in the campus ministry or we're reaching the campus ministry between 2017 and 2020, come up on the stage. And if you join the church at that time, if you move from another church at that time, if you came up through the high school ministry at that time, I don't really care. But between 2017 and 2020, if you join this church in the campus ministry, come on up. Come on up. 2017 to 2020. Brandon, when did you come around? Because Aaron told me to. Nope, get off the stage. You're not here yet. <laughs> All right. Now I want you guys to stand right here, okay? <clears throat> Number one, does this group look like that group? No. Right? There was a love and the diversity that happened here that left a footprint on the next generation of campus ministry. And the diversity continued the process because of the love that a diverse group of people had for one another shined to another generation. Now, if you're a man in the campus ministry that was reached between 2017 and 2000, or 2020, 2023, you come up. So every other dude in here that's been in the campus ministry, come on up. Get skinny. Get skinny. Over here. Over here. I want you guys to come over here. I'm getting emotional just watching this. <laughs> Here, I'll let you guys get over just a little bit. Yeah, come on up. Now, does this group, does this group look anything like this group? Or this group? I don't think it was going to happen. <laughs> Isn't it cool to see what can happen when a group of diverse dudes choose to love one another and leave a footprint for a generation of diverse dudes who choose to love one another that can build another generation of diverse guys that love one another? And don't you also see a progression of growth as well? That when we, yeah. And the reality is, is I didn't have to just pick the men in the campus ministry. I could have picked the women. I could have picked our adult men. I could have picked our adult women. I could have, built, I could have picked our high school ministry. This is the Crossings Church in a nutshell. Of what can happen when people choose to look through God's lens, rejoice in the diversity they have, and call the next generation to do the same thing. Incredible things can happen. And for you guys, I want you to know how proud of you I am. Because you have a footprint here. That these men are here because of the love you have for one another. And it's incredible to see in three years from now, the next group won't fit on this stage. And I want us to all understand this idea that even though you guys are no longer, none of them are serving the campus ministry anymore. 
they've all raised up and taken on other responsibilities within the church, but yet they've left a footprint and they don't dismiss that ministry because many of you guys have had many of these men in your lives, in your homes. You've discipled them. You've helped them along the way. And that's what a church is meant to do. This is what a church should look like. And it should continue. Thank you, guys. You guys can call me back down there. Did not think that was going to happen. <laughs> um, we have to continue this mission, guys. We, we have to continue this mission, and we have to rejoice in the moment for what God has given us. God has given us a great diversity of people to love, and we cannot stay in our own sect. We cannot stay in our own faction anymore. We have to accept the fact that God wants us to love everyone, and when we can adopt to that idea, we can challenge others to do the same, and because of that, more lives can be changed. And that only happens when we look at things the way that God looks at things, not how we look at things. <laughs> Lastly, number five, I reason with my critics, but I listen to Christ. I reason with my critics, but I listen to Christ. And reason, I, you know, reason isn't saying agreeing with your critics. Reasoning isn't saying changing your values, changing your opinions. Reasoning is literally just being respectful enough to hear what somebody's trying to communicate to you. It says in Acts 11, 1 through 4, it says, The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. You see, Sometimes the Christian faith does way too much damage because they're unwilling to listen. They're unwilling to hear the other side. They're unwilling to reason with other people. Now, I never said they changed their perspectives. I never said they don't stand fast in their doctrine. But the Christian faith so many times has shut people down and is unwilling to listen as to why people feel the way that they feel, as to what they've experienced in life as to why the culture is treating them a certain way. And we just say, nope, God says this. I don't really care about how you were raised. I don't really care about the things that you've experienced. I don't care why you look at certain people certain ways. And we dismiss all those things. And it does more damage to the Christian faith than anything when we choose to just shut people down because God says differently. And just like this part starts, these, these apostles started hearing the stuff, and they immediately didn't, they didn't hear anything yet. There was no reasoning. They were just upset. But then it says in verse 4, it says, starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. Peter was able to reason with them and talk with them about this. And what happens after the story was told? In verse 18, it picks up. It says, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. You see, this, this goes both ways. The phone works both ways here on this one because sometimes as Christians, we are so stuck in our ways that we're unwilling to hear. And I think sometimes that will help change our views and change our perspectives and change our doctrine because we've never heard it that way before. I don't know how many times as a Christian, I don't know about you, but when I got baptized, I didn't know everything. 
Whenever I studied the Bible, whenever I was an 18-year-old kid, I didn't know what I know today. But I was kind of stubborn. I thought I knew it all. I thought I knew enough. I said, hey, man, I sat down with the Bible. I sat at Sunday the Bible seven or eight times now. I'm a, I'm a, I don't need to go, to, I don't need to, go to, to Bible school. Like, I got, a, I got it all right here, you know. And that was it. And I've formed a doctrine based on those handful of times I sat down and studied the Bible. But over the years, I've had people sit with me and talk to me and reason with me on things that I've changed in my doctrine and changed in my faith because I didn't know it all. The way I treated people, the way I handled situations, the way I applied certain things, I thought I knew, but I really didn't. And so I was able to sit and listen with people rather than shut people down. And I think if there were more Christians that were willing to have an open mind about God's word and not just a solid, straight-up doctrine that's been engraved in their head for years, there may be more willingness to see relationships through that. And what needs to happen, though, is there, there have to be people in those people's lives to say those things. Look what Paul says here to Peter. He says, in Galatians 2, 11 through 12, it says, But when Peter came to Antioch, and Antioch was kind of like, Antioch was like, for the Gentiles, like what Jerusalem was for like the Jews. Like it was like kind of like the hub of like where everything started for the Gentiles. Like this was like a like this was a this was a great place for the Gentiles to start the Christian faith and, and it was kind of known for that. And it says when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. This is Paul talking about Peter. For what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with Gentile believers. So, so Peter is at Antioch, and there's all these Gentiles here. They're now Christians. And he's sitting down, and he's eating with them and socializing and, and fellowshipping with them and all this stuff, right? And then it says, but afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of the criticism from these people who insisted on the, necessary, the necessity of circumcision. So what's going on is... is Peter essentially eating with these Gentiles, and then James, James's friends and buddies show up, and he's like, oh, I wasn't doing that. I, would, I wasn't doing that. Hey, what's up, guys? How's it going? How's it going? That look familiar? You know, and what's going on is there's an embarrassment or a change in character because of the people he's circulated himself around. Now, I work in the campus ministry, and I don't know how many times I've seen certain boys with their boys, because the culture tells them it's their boys, but then there's these other gentlemen that they, that they will walk around and act and talk differently. But when they're with their boys, it's a little different. Or it doesn't have to be guys versus guys. When, when guys are with their boys, they act a certain way. But then when they're around girls, oh, you don't talk anymore? You don't know how to talk anymore? You don't know how to communicate anymore? I mean, I just saw you over there hanging out with your boys, being all crazy, stuff like that. And then there's a circle of girls that want to get to know you. And you're like, what's up? <laughs> How's it going? And you put on, this, you put on this, you know, this whole fake thing. Or you're hanging out with your boys and you have this, and then you go to work, right? And you don't act the way at work that you do when you're hanging out with your friends. What I'm trying to get at is that a genuine diverse disciple 
does not change for any social group. A genuineness about a disciple means that you are the same person no matter who you're around. Period. And honestly, for you guys that act like that, you're doing more damage than anything because if the girls see you acting like that around your boys and then you act differently around them, what they realize is that you're trying to put on some fake front in front of them. And they ain't about that. I've also have a wife that works in campus ministry, so I know, <laughs> I know how girls think. And like, you, you want to you try to attract a girl? This, I'm giving you some dating advice now. Act, <laughs> act the same way around your boys that you do around your girls. Show them the same genuine heart and the energy and the love that you have for them that you do with your friends, and they're going to say, hey, that's a real guy. He's not trying to prove anything. He's not trying to put up a front. And man, it will change. You want to you you look at your, your coworkers and your friends like that? You know, sometimes I, th- I think that people are afraid to invite people to church because the way they act with their friends outside of church would drastically change when they saw the relationships they had inside of the church. So many guys in campus ministry, you, you act and hang out with people in certain ways and you talk certain ways and you, and you argue about certain things. And, and, but you definitely wouldn't do that with your church friends. And Peter needed a Paul in his life to call that out. And Paul's like, well, no, no, no. We ain't doing all that. You're going to treat them the same way that you treat them. Because you're all the same. We can have none of this crap in the church. Because we love one another. And we're diverse. And this is all done. Gentile, Jew, it don't matter. We're disciples. Get it together. And sometimes, even as Peter was one of those apostles, he still needed somebody to say that stuff. And so I encourage you guys to have that same opportunity with one another that if you see that within your friends, you see that within people, like, hey, man, you act really different around your friends that aren't here in the church. You act really different when you're at home. You know, even for you, for, for you guys that are a little bit older and you guys are married or you guys have families, man, you, you act different in the house than you do when you're at work. You act different in the house than you are when you're at church. And this doesn't have to do with race or money or anything like that. It can literally just be how you present yourself to certain people. We've got to have people to call that out one another. Listen to this verse we'll end on. This is out of the message paraphrase. And, you know, if you know anything about the message paraphrase, it's not really scripture. It's somebody who has read scripture and has taken the Greek words and has tried to apply it as they understand it. And sometimes you can read the message paraphrase and be like, ah, that doesn't make any sense. But other times you can read it and it can be really enlightening to how they're trying to communicate an idea. And so in 2 Corinthians 5, 10 through 20, it talks about this. It says, sooner or later, we'll all have to face God, regardless of our conditions. We will appear before Christ and take what's coming to us as a result of our actions, either good or bad. That keeps us vigilant. It's no light thing to know that we've all one day stand in the place of judgment. Christ's love has moved us to such extremes. His love has the first and last word in everything we do. Our firm decision is to work from this focus center. One man died for everyone. That puts us all in the same boat. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once, and we got it all wrong. As you know, we certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside, and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone, a new life begins. 
Look at it. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. For Christ's representatives, God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. Man, if we could just live by that, if the world could just live by that, to just drop our differences and realize that we're all made anew in Christ, what could we do? And guys, like I said, I don't think this is a huge show with the Crossing Church. With from the from our core values, from the, you know the top of of our maturity within our leadership, we we have already established that this is something that we desperately dream of within our church. But the reality is, is that the dream only goes as far as the execution. And if we don't have people that are willing to execute the dream, then it will never become a reality. And so my challenge to you guys today is: if you are in this world and you and you feel like you're a part of this diversity, I encourage you to continue it. I encourage you to challenge others to, to be alongside of it. I, I encourage you to teach people how to, be, how to partner with it. If you're visiting with us today and you're looking for that, I'm telling you, man, this is a, this is a diverse church, period. You know, like, there, there is so much diversity in this church that you will find some common ground with people that you you know, that maybe are in that same culture wheel that you have been in your whole life. But I'm telling you right now, you're also going to find people who aren't. And we will push you to be relational with those people. Because we want to build a church that loves all and not some. <laughs> you know, it's funny, even in the campus ministry, I don't know how many times I've had to talk with college students and say, you, it's Southern Illinois, Okay. I've had multiple sit-downs with guys that say, I don't know how to talk to black people. But once again, the awesome diversity part of this church is that they're not saying that out of rebellion. They're saying that out of a desire. I don't know how to talk to black people. My whole high school was white. But I want to learn how. But I want to know. It takes God to be able to form a heart like that. And, and then I come in and I say, just talk to him. <laughs> there's no science. There's no book about it. Like, because it doesn't matter what color your skin is. If somebody can see the genuous in your heart, they don't care where you came from. They really don't. If they can tell that you just truly want to love them, if anyone can tell that you just truly want to be in relationship with them, and that God has done something in your life that you have dropped all preconceived feelings or thoughts, no matter if it's a race, no matter if it's a social status, no matter if it's an upbringing, a genius of a person's heart, just like that last verse said, that God has created us all with a fresh start. Diversity will continue. So I'm grateful that you guys are here today. Um, if you guys would like to, I encourage you guys to pull out that communication card in your guys' bulletin because this will give you an opportunity to respond to what we were talking about today. 
If, like I said, if you're a part of this church and you're looking for an opportunity to just build in that, to build in how, how can I aid in the diversity of our church, just, you know, follow Scripture and do what it says. Take the, take the principles of what we've been talking about today and apply those things. Ex, you know, express that in your small group. If there's things you need to fine-tune, talk about those things. Um, if you're visiting with us today and you're looking to figure out how to get connected and be like, you know, I, I, I want to learn more about this. I, I want to be more of a diverse disciple. I want to be, a dis- you know, I don't even know enough about God to know if I should love people differently because of the way that I, was, I grew up, the way I was raised. Maybe check, I would like a Bible study so you can look at God's word and see what he has done for you, what he is, what he is willing to do for you. Um, if you have a relationship with God and you're like, I just, I've never had community whether it's diverse or not, I've just never had relationships to be able to help me love people. Maybe check you'd like to know more about our small groups and you would just want to get in, in contact with some people. And like I said, we, we are going to push people in your way that you're going you're gonna to be able to you know, relate to and you're going to have some, some similarities with. But at the end of the day, our church doesn't care about those things. The only similarity that our church cares about at the end of the day is our similarity in our relationship and our love for God. And after that, everything takes a second-hand seat. And so I, I hope that you guys will invest. I hope that you guys will choose to look at, look at some things that maybe this church can offer you. Um, but more importantly, I hope that you guys will be able to take what we've learned today and what we talked about today and answer that call and go change a community. Go out into the world and change a community and look at the context of what you can do in your general community and what this church can look like because of that. So thank you again for coming. I'm going to say a prayer. The worship is going to come up and give you guys some further instructions. Um, and uh, hopefully you guys will have a good day and a, a good 4th of July weekend. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much uh, for diversity um, in itself. God, it's funny because I was one of those kids that grew up in an all-white high school. And uh, never in my life would I think that my best friends and my closest friends are the friends that I have today, God. But God, I'm so grateful for my friends. I'm so grateful for friends in general. I grew up as a really lonely kid. I grew up with not a lot of deep friends, not a lot of friends that actually cared about me, not a lot of friends that were willing to just love me, God. And you provided a church that has provided people, that has provided love. Um, And I feel that, and I'm grateful for it, and I want to pay it forward and give people that same kind of love. God, I'm grateful for my family, that I have a family that can have that same kind of love. I have daughters that choose to have, you know, models in the campus ministry of what real friends can look like and take them under their wing and show them that they can, they don't have to be predispositioned to a certain group or sector of people, but man, I'm so grateful that my kids get to grow up knowing that they should love everyone because of the people that love them. And God, I'm grateful for this church and I'm grateful for the opportunities that you brought your son down to give us the opportunity to love other people in general. And I pray that we can take that, we can apply it, and we can um, see what this church can do because of it. And it's in your son's name I pray. Amen.